Good morning, everybody. Glad you braved the hurricane today to, uh, to be here. It's awesome. You guys are troopers. So uh, back in the 90s, Dennis Rodman wrote a book called Bad As I Want to Be. Anybody remember that book? Does anybody recall? Anybody read that book, Bad As I Want to Be? Huh? Well, we couldn't show the actual picture of the book because he's naked on a motorcycle. But anyway, there you go. Uh, he wrote that book. Tony Kornheiser, who was a famous columnist for the Washington Post back when people used to read the Washington Post, right, when they re- read the paper, actual paper, he was a famous. Now he is, uh, works for ESPN as co-host of PTI. He wrote a book. Is it behind me now? It's on the screen. Bald as I want to be. This morning, we're going to talk about cool cool as I want to be. How do you get cool? How does that happen in your life? And so there's nobody more cool than Bono, right? Is he back there? Yeah, man, he is, he is so cool. So the question is, how did Bono get to be so cool? What is it about? So we're going to come back to that. Keep that in your mind. We're going to come back to Bono in a few minutes when we talk about how do we get cool. We've been talking about dependence. So back here, you know, we said that we have to connect with God, but we'll never connect with God here at home plate unless we are dependent upon God. And this is what we've been stressing. So you have to actually swing the bat, connect the ball. That's how you get into the game. You don't get into the game any other way. I don't, if I just came out here and started running the bases without connecting with the ball, without dependence, if I did that, uh, I wouldn't be in the game. I'd be disqualified. I have to connect. And so we said the first week, the dependence is praying it like it is. When you put your weight on something, when you depend on something, you put your weight on there all the time. And that means when things are good or bad or ugly, you don't pray, you don't connect with God the way you wish you were. You pray and you connect with God the way that you are. So it doesn't matter up, down, bad, all around, you connect with God. Then last week we said the key is me. So so we connect with God, right? And we start looking at ourselves. It's not everybody else. The whole world is all messed up and everybody's done you wrong and Jacob's family's completely screwed up. But the issue was, is the key is me. We have to look to God to open our own eyes. And today we're going to talk about this. Dependence is me making God's priorities my priorities. So that's the one fill in the blank that I have for you. And I hope that you still have your little... Maybe somebody put it on their keychain. I put it on my keychain, right? This little baseball bat and ball to remind me of these things. The key is me or pray it like it is. And today, I have to make God's priorities my priority. I have to adjust. I have to adjust myself. So we're going to see if you have read in this story at all about Joseph. If you've, if you've already said, you know, I can't take it in the last couple of weeks. I got to know where is this story going? Then what you've realized is Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt against all odds. He beca- it's incredible what happens. And you might think, oh my goodness, I want God to do something great in my life. I want God to give me a breakthrough. You don't want to be prime minister. Maybe, maybe you do. I don't know. But there's something with a career or a relationship. There's something that you have a dream about. God has a dream for Joseph. And you might falsely think, okay, well, Joseph finally got to the point where he was able to get God to come down and give him the breakthrough and make him prime minister. I think that way. I think that way a lot. You know, God, if I could just get you to break me through, if I could just get it. And actually, that's not what happened at all. It wasn't getting God to adjust to Joseph so that Joseph could become this really cool guy, right? And really cool things could happen. That wasn't what happened at all. What had to happen was Joseph had to adjust to God. So we showed Bono a few moments ago. You know, Bono has this really cool quote that he says. It's not original with him, but he quotes it. And last time I heard it, he quoted it. He says this. He says, look, this is not about, life is not about us asking God to get involved with us and bless us. Here's what life is. Life is recognizing what God is already blessing and joining him. Adjust. 
We have to adjust. Today, we're going to talk about making God's priorities our priorities, and God's priority is community. It's community. It's not, it's not me as an individual. It's God. Jo- Joseph was so me-centered. I find myself to be so me-centered. Oh, God, if you, what's in it for me? All right, God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to church or maybe what, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? And instead, God had to adjust Joseph to it wasn't about me. It was about the community. It's about the community that God wanted to create. There's a, there's a great story. Uh, some people think it's uh, true. It's actually not true, but it's been told for years about this U.S. battleship. It was out at night. And it's, it's steaming on, and here it goes, this big U.S. battleship, and it sees another light in the distance, right? It's another boat. And so it radios the boat and says, uh, you know, boat, whatever, on the horizon, blah, 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 you need to adjust your course, you know, so-and-so degrees. And the other boat comes back and says, no, I'm afraid you're going to need to adjust your course. Well, then here comes the admiral up onto the deck, and he says, you know, boat, blah, 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 I'm telling you now, you need to adjust your degree. And, and, and the other boat comes back and says, no. We're not adjusting. Then the guy says, the admiral on the U.S. battleship says, this is a United States of America battleship. This is Admiral so-and-so. Adjust now. And the voice comes back and says, this is a lighthouse. Your call. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing, everybody. A lot of times we have this thing because we're very me-centered. We're very independent. We're addicted to independence. And we're thinking about, God, how can I get you to adjust to me so that you can bless everything I'm doing? And God, and through this story of Joseph, Joseph had these amazing things happen to him, not because God adjusted to Joseph, but because Joseph adjusted to God. Joseph said, you know what? It's not about me. It's about the community. Community is the priority. So here we see in the story that God is not saving Joseph. It's not like, oh my gosh, did you see what happened to Joseph? Do you see the cool things? I wish that could happen to me. This amazing meteoric rise of Joseph, I wish that could happen to me. God wasn't saving an individual. God was saving a nation. And that's what it's all about. Now, I was thinking about this this past week. Um, all these little details. I often ask myself, is God interested in the tiny little details of my life? Does he have an interest in that? Does God want to like get involved and micromanage so that his will is done? Is he involved in those details? And I began to think about all the details in Genesis 37 and on. If you haven't read the whole story, it's only a few chapters long. It is an absolutely amazing story. But there's all these coincidences in this story about how God is working. So I just wrote some of them down. I actually wrote 20 of them down. There's more. And I just want to read all 20 to you. And I want you to think about this, about how God can work even behind the scenes. Because what we've been saying the past couple of weeks is in Genesis 37, before you get to chapter 37, God's everywhere. Like he's wrestling with people. He's talking to people. He's building boats with people. He's, all this stuff he's doing. All of a sudden, Genesis 37, he's nowhere to be found. We can't find him. God is like, where is Waldo? We don't know where God is. And he's behind the scenes working. But as he's behind the scenes working, it's like he's working even more than ever. So I wrote down these 20 things. All of them begins with, it just so happens, because there seems to be these amazing coincidences. So number one, it just so happens that Jacob, against all wisdom, sends Joseph to check on his brothers in Shechem. Shechem, where terrible stuff took place in Shechem. Terrible. When they left Shechem, Jacob and his family, he said, Jacob says, we have become a stench in these people's nostril. And so, and so, 
Jacob sends his prized son Joseph all by himself on days and days and days journey to check on his brothers who hate him in this very terrible place called Shechem. Why in the world did he do that? Number two, and it just so happens that while Joseph was wandering in a field in the middle of nowhere, he bumps into a stranger in the middle of nowhere. Some people speculate that this could have been an angel that God sent to give Joseph information. Number three, it just so happens that the stranger overheard his brothers say, let's go down to Dothan. Now I want you to think about all these steps. If even one person is off timing like a play like a play if even one person misses their cue to come on stage at the right time joseph doesn't become prime minister of egypt and joseph doesn't end up saving the nation think about all the thousands and thousands and thousands of lives that joseph saved but if anybody missed their cue in all this none of it happens so it just so happens that this uh that this stranger overhears and says they headed down to dothan number four it just so happens that dothan happens to be on a major trading route number five it just so happens that joseph and his in his brothers and a band of traders all converge on Dothan at the exact same time. Bands of traders didn't go through there every day. There would be weeks sometimes in between traders going through. They all just happened to get there at the exact same day. How did that happen? The odds of it all. It just so happens that Reuben, the eldest brother, the eldest brother of Jacob, it just so happens that he was present when Joseph showed up because the brothers wanted to kill they wanted to kill Joseph. And it just so happens that Reuben's there and says, no, we can't kill him. But it also just so happens that Reuben, the eldest, was absent when Judah came up with the plan to sell Joseph into slavery. Isn't that interesting? He was right where he needed to be, and then he wasn't where he needed to be. All of a sudden, he steps off stage. He goes down to 7-Eleven, buys a pack of cigarettes. I don't know what he does, but all of a sudden, he's gone. It just so happens that the traders are headed to Egypt right where Joseph needed to go. And it just so happens that Joseph is sold to Potiphar, this huge official. He's like the commander of all the armies of Egypt, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time. And it just so happens that the brother's deception of their father, Jacob, worked. Why was that so important? Because if the deception of the father, Jacob, hadn't worked, Jacob would have gone looking for his favorite son and bought him back out of slavery, and he never would have been prime minister of Egypt. And it just so happens happens that Joseph needed experience as a COO. And so God puts him in Potiphar's house where he be, he's in charge of this massive, massive estate. He is the guy, and we're going to look at that next week because it's absolutely fascinating what takes place. And it just so happens that uh, Joseph needed to meet a very important official of Pharaoh's staff who was going to be headed to prison. And it just so happens, number 13, that God made Joseph the sexiest man alive, and Mrs. Potiphar couldn't keep her eyes off Joseph. We, we might have pictures next week about what the sexiest man alive looks like, just in case. Number 14, and it just so happens that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Apparently, God knew this knew this number 15 and it just so happens that miss potiphar lies about joseph and he is sent to prison this is strange everybody he should have been executed but for some reason it just so happens that he wasn't executed like anybody else would have been executed for doing what he was accused of doing which he did not do and it just so happens that he wasn't executed instead he was sent to a prison 17, it just so happens that he had experience with dreams. And it just so happens that Pharaoh's officials one morning had a dream. And Joseph just so happens to be the person who meets them in the morning and notices that they have this situation with this dream. And it just so happens, number 18, that Joseph fully depended upon God correctly interprets the officials' dreams. Number 19, it just so happens that Pharaoh two years later has his own dream that nobody can figure out. And lastly, number 20, it just so happens that this official told Pharaoh that he met somebody named Joseph in a prison 
and they should send for him right away, and it just so happens that Pharaoh does. Wow. All of these things, God is like micromanaging the smallest little detail behind the scenes. Do you think that God is interested in the details of your life? No, God's not interested in the details of my life. God is working so hard here, getting everybody's timing just right so that Joseph can be put in the position, and the question is why. Why is God working so hard? So he could do something really cool in Joseph's life. That's the way I've always read it. He could do something. You know what? No, that's not the answer. The answer is, is God wanted to save a nation. He wanted to save a community. That's God's priority. He wasn't interested in doing something cool in one individual's life. God was very interested. We are so independent. We are so individual. I approach God all the time as a consumer. God, what can you do for me? How can you lift me up? How can you change my life? And God's like, hey, you need to adjust. You need to get on my train, right? My train is the community train. And so we have to begin to make God's priorities our priorities. And that's when the really cool stuff begins to take place. Community is where we celebrate interdependence, not independence. We've been talking about Romans chapter 12 for quite some time, right? Since we started this. There is a pattern in this world. There's a pattern to this world. That pattern is to move towards independence. God's pattern is for us to move to dependence upon him and interdependence as a community with each other. There was an important study by uh, the George Barnett group recently. And they asked Americans, they asked Americans, so what is it that you need to do to grow your faith? What is it that you need? We need you to list everything. And you know what did not make the top 10 of what Americans need to do to grow their faith? You know what didn't reach the top 10? Church. Church. I don't need church to grow my faith. Do you know that 80% of Christians say, you know, I don't need to go to church to grow my faith. I don't, it's not, it's not really a part of it. I don't need to be a part of that community. I can do it all on my what? I can do it all on my own. I, I get it. Emotionally, I get that. I get that completely. I understand it. Goodness gracious, we celebrate independence. We celebrate independence. Of course, it's about God and me. You know, Jesus and me are a majority, right? Hey, 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 you know, that's exciting. The only issue with that statement, though I understand it emotionally, is it's got one problem. Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, I will build my what? Does anybody know the answer to that? It's a famous part in the Bible. I will build my individuals. I'll build my church. Oh, my goodness. If I think that I can grow spiritually and become all that God wants me to be, just me and God, me and Jesus, majority, without community, without the church, we have to come to grips with this statement that Jesus, I'm not building individuals. I'm building a church. I'm building a community. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 gives us this amazing glimpse about what it looks like in that Acts church. What were their priorities? What were they doing together? And there's a great amount of redundancy to Acts chapter 2. Can I read this for you? I think it's on the screen behind me, or you might find it uh, there uh, in your blue bulletin. Acts 2. They spent their time learning from the apostles, and they were like family to each other. They also broke bread, and they did what? They prayed together. All the Lord's followers often met together. Day after day, they met together in the temple. And they broke bread where? Together, over and over and over again. There's this great amount of redundancy. God is a 
community builder. He is a church builder. This is his priority, community. And we have to adjust ourselves from being so individual and say, you know what? I got to jump on your train, God. That was Joseph's problem. He was all about me. What can I get for me? He was so self-centered. God didn't break through because all of a sudden Joseph prayed so much to God that God did this awesome thing in his life. What happened actually is Joseph, just like that U.S. battleship, just like Bono says, figures out what is God blessing and he adjusts to God. That's what we need to do. You'll see some amazing, cool, incredible breakthroughs in your life when you begin to adjust your life to God's priorities, and God's priority is always community. Each of these three things that we have up here is so important. Character, community, competency. We've talked about character. We're going to get to this one shortly in a few weeks, but today it's about community. This is God's priority. Are you geared into that, or are you just geared into what can I get for me? This is how Joseph was. This is how I approach my life much of the time, and we need to adjust because that's what God is blessing. This is what God... So, so Genesis chapter 12. Why does God do all this for Joseph? Why does, why does all these steps happen, these 20 things I read to you? You know why? Because in Genesis chapter 12, God says, check this out, to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great what? Individual. No, I'm going to make you a great nation. And what we see is shortly after God says that, the whole family begins to fall apart. And by three generations in, oh my gosh, it's falling apart. The brothers are selling Joseph into slavery. If that's not a family in crisis, I don't know what is. They have a major problem. Major problem. Everything's raveling, unraveling completely. But God works in a mighty way to keep this community, to keep this community, this nation together because community is one of God's priorities. I want you to think about this as a side note. This absolutely fascinates me. 4,000 years ago-ish, all right, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, at that time, Abraham was just kind of wandering around a desert as a nobody. Nobody knew who he was. Now, Think about it today, everybody. 4,000 years ago, this was said. Is Abraham great today? All Jews, Christians, and Muslims call Abraham great. That's about two-thirds of the world's population. How did God know that? Just a thought. Just a thought for you. Dependence is me making God's priorities my priorities. Now, there's a priority within a priority. So God's priority is community. But within this priority of community, there's an even deeper priority, and that happens to be children. I scanned through the stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this past week, just to check a few things out. I scanned through it, and here's what I found out. I wanted to figure out what was, what was Jesus' blessing. And there's two things that rose quickly to the top. He blessed some bread. It's told in every one of the four stories, the Gospels of Jesus. He blessed this bread so he could do what? So he could feed an individual? A community. A community. So he blesses bread, and he feeds this massive community. And the second thing, anybody want to take a guess what he does? Jesus takes in his, in his hands, and he lifts up, and he blesses who? Children. Community and children. There's a priority within a priority, and that is children. The Bible tells us we need to train, teach, love, and bless children. Why is Bono so cool? Bono is so cool because he's a community builder, and what else does he do within community? Let's take a look at the picture. What does he do? This guy has been doing this, not since yesterday, not since last week, since 1984. Five, he's been going to communities, orphanages over in Africa and loving and blessing. Do you know this guy here will spend a month in an orphanage? You know what he does there? Would anybody like to go to a U2 concert? I can tell you where one's going on and you don't have to pay for a ticket to get into it, right? 
what you have to do, this guy here, he is writing and singing songs to children in the orphanage about you need to brush your teeth, need to wash your hands. He's putting on private concerts because Bono is so cool because he's a community builder and he knows, that knows there's a priority within the priority, and that is children. So can you all welcome Graceland here? There they are. These are our fabulous people from Graceland, and I want to introduce you to them. This is Stephanie. Say hi, Stephanie. Hello, everybody. Hi, Stephanie. Stephanie's one of our uh, part-time coordinators back in Graceland. And who is this? Mariana. The Mariana. Coordinator. Say hola, Mariana. Hola. Hola. Yeah, very nice. This is Ashley. Ashley. Say hi, Ashley. Hello. Okay, so Ashley has been one of our part-time coordinators. We've been praying for four years for a children's pastor, and I want to tell you God answers prayer. So there she is. Today is her first day. Today is her first day as our full-time children's pastor. And I don't know who that guy is that stuck in on the end. But there he is. That's Phil. Phil is not on staff. He is a volunteer. And I want to ask Phil a couple questions. Everybody say hello, Phil. Okay, Phil. Here we go. First of all, let's uh, let's figure a few things out here. Phil, uh, you're married with children. Not even close. Okay. Um, all right. So are you like a preschool teacher? Is that why you work in Graceland? Definitely not. Definitely. Not a preschool. What, what do you do for a living? Put it right up there. We want to hear you. Yeah, I'm a professional nerd. Um, I'm an aerospace engineer. Okay. Yeah, so. Okay. All right. Yeah. Very good. Um, all right. So did you just like know so much of the Bible? That's why you got involved with Graceland? Because you just had to share it with somebody. Might as well share it with a kid. Yeah, man, I wish that was the case, but no, definitely that not. That wasn't, wasn't yeah. the deal. No. Okay. So tell us, why in the world did you get involved with Graceland? What's that all about? I thought you said you were only asking me yes or no questions. Uh, <laughs> well, you're an aerospace engineer, so adapt. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so this, the, short, the short story is six and a half years ago, I was, um, God moved me out to Denver. And while I was there, uh, I got pulled into a local church and uh, just a great community of men. Um, uh, they, got, they really took me under their wing, and they did everything together as a community. It was amazing. They served in the church, outside the church, in Bible studies, and I just learned a ton from them. And one of the things they told me while I was there was, uh, Phil, you need to make sure that you have a Paul and a Timothy in your life at all times. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're referring to the Apostle Paul, who mentored Timothy, the younger guy, Timothy. And so while I was in Denver, I had plenty of Pauls, plenty of mentors mentoring me Mm. throughout the week. Mm. What I didn't have was a Timothy. And so prayer is a pretty dangerous thing because I asked God to fix that and he moved me all the way back to Virginia. Like Joseph. Like Joseph, yeah. Except I think I was coming from the promised land. But... (laughs) You're ad-libbing just a little too much. I know. (laughs) No, I I grew up here, so okay. So moving back home, we'll say that. And uh, when I got back here, he got me involved with Grace Community Church uh, through some friends. And, uh, you know, I got, he kind of pushed me into the Graceland area. And, um, you know, Graceland, to answer your question, has become my number one, like, favorite thing I do every week. Like, I can't wait for for Sunday to happen because nothing else compares to it. And, um, you know, Jesus made it clear that children are a priority. And Mm. we need to remember they're a part of the community. And so we need to do what we can to, you know, mentor these children. And... uh, you know, I'm, I'm just totally humbled and blessed that he would allow me, someone who's obviously completely unqualified, to, to serve and mentor these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, children aren't the only ones learning downstairs about the Bible. I'm pretty sure I'm learning more now 
in Graceland than I ever have before. And, uh, you know, if God can bring a community of men around me at a time of need, I want to partner with him and be a part of, you know, reaching out to these children and, and serving them. That's absolutely awesome. Thank you, Phil. Big, big, big round of applause, Phil. You know, it just dawned on me as uh, Phil was talking here, you know, he's uh, single and spiritual, right? He's single. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of single guys that work down in Graceland. I just thought that was a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of single guys that work down in Graceland. I mean, maybe you might meet somebody down in Graceland. So I'm just maybe hypothetically, in case you were looking for a spiritual single guy. I mean, you could, you could, you could just like, you know, work down there. Okay. Uh, we got some myth busters for you today and, uh, these wonderful ladies are going to answer. So here, here's, here's the first one. All right. Here's the, here, here's the myth. I won't learn anything if I serve in Graceland. Stephanie. So, um, as Phil kind of said, we actually, as adults learn almost uh, more than the children do. Um, telling the stories, practicing, telling the stories, simplifying the comp concepts down to a child's level makes everything clear. Um, it, it's really amazing what you get out as an adult out of the story and how um, simple um, the questions that they ask, the discussions that you have with the children are very enlightening as you, uh, as you try to teach them. They're, they're teaching you right along with it. Excellent, excellent. Okay, I'm going to ask this next question in Spanish. Hola, ¿cómo estás? Muy bien. Dios te Dios bendiga. Dios te bendiga. Hey, there you go. God bless you. Dios okay, te bendiga. Here's the question. <laughs> I have to serve every single Sunday. Mariana. As much as we love to see all of your beautiful faces every Sunday, um, you're not required. If you can do it once a month, once a year, just come. Because um, your time is valuable and your time with the children as well. So whenever you're available, we have open doors for you. That's wonderful. Okay, Ashley, number three, I have to like teaching kids to serve in Graceland. And the children's pastor says... Actually, you don't. <laughs> it's Ashley true. Ashley can't stand kids. Busted. <laughs> I like them a little bit. I don't know. Uh, um, so you definitely don't have to like teaching kids to be in Graceland. We have a lot of behind-the-scenes roles, actually, that we really need help filling, too. So we have, if you're interested in audiovisual set design, set up and clean up. We have all kinds of roles for you that you can be behind the scenes and non-Sunday things as well if you'd like to serve outside of a Sunday too. So yeah, don't have to like kids, but we have lots of other fun things for you to do. Wonderful. Thank you, Ashley. Two more myths. Two more myths. Graceland is just babysitting Stephanie. <laughs> So uh, from babies all the way up through elementary, we have curriculum. We have prepared um, biblical stories and concepts at their level um, that we teach them and we work with them on. So it's, um, it's not necessarily just babysitting. The relationships you build are incredible. Um, the parents and children get to depend on you as adults in their lives. Um, and those relationships are sometimes the most important ones um, for them to come in and be happy on a Sunday morning. Um, so it's not just babysitting. It is, is a whole lot more. Wonderful. Thank you. Last one. Mariana, here we go. I have to know the Bible inside and out to serve in Graceland. Busted. You don't. In fact, I've been doing this for three years now, and I don't know the Bible inside out. In oh fact, just like, oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> just like Phil said, um, I've learned so much during this three years with the children and preparing for each Sunday than I've had in my whole year, in my whole life. And it's amazing how much I can read the same story over and over and get something new every single time. And I feel like we all do that as adults, so imagine children doing it every Sunday. It's, it's very exciting, at least for me. Um, 
actually reading the Bible and just preparing myself for it. So it's, it's fascinating how much you learn. I think the uh, Graceland teachers actually take a certain amount of pleasure of often saying to me that they learn more about the Bible in Graceland than they do in here. Can we have a round of applause for the Graceland people? Wonderful. Thank you very much. You guys are awesome. Okay, we're going to wrap up with this. So here's the thing. There is a part. We have to adjust to God. God's priorities are community. It's not about me. It's not about Joseph. Finally got God to give him a break to do something cool. It's God wanted to save a nation. And Joseph saved through food, everybody, through being a CEO, a prime minister of Egypt. He puts in together this food program that saves thousands and thousands of lives. It's absolutely incredible because God wanted to save a nation. God's priority is community. So here's what I'm asking you to think about. From Bono to Jesus, from Bono to Jesus, community and kids. Very interested in kids. Jesus' priority in the Gospels is clearly lifts up kids and he blesses kids. At the very least, at the very least, we should be praying for our children. At the very least, we should pray for Graceland all the time. You need to add it to your prayer list. God, bless. you don't know. <laughs> One of our kids could be back there that's going to cure cancer. All right? You, you don't know what's going to happen. We need to be praying for Graceland, the teachers and the kids, all the time. And then the second thing is this. Some of you are here this morning that God wants you to get involved with Graceland. I am totally convinced of it. You know why? Because God's priority is community. And we come here today thinking, well, God, what can I get out of you? And God brought you here today because God says there's something you can give. And when you jump on this train, I'm going to do so many cool things in your life, but you're going to have to adjust to God. So when we release in just a few moments, you're going to see these tables. There's going to be one over here. There's going to be one out in the lobby, one down the hall. They have all these big orange balloons, blue and orange. People said they're Denver Bronco colors. They're not Denver Bronco colors. Okay. We are now, we are now against every NFL team now because the Redskins are doing so terrible. But, but, but I want to encourage you to consider listening to the promptings and the priorities of God to pray for Graceland, to pray for our children and to adjust your priorities to God's priorities and to get involved. Some of you, God is prompting to get involved with Graceland this morning. I absolutely know it. I'm convinced of it. You can't convince me not. You know why? Why? Right here. Right here. God's priority is community. Now I want to end with the story, okay? So uh, back in 2004, some of you remember when ABC News used to do this person of the week? Anybody remember way back when, 2004, 11, they did this person of the week? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Two, three, four hands. Okay. They did a person of the week and it was, the, it was this guy, not that guy. It was this guy, this guy. Anybody know his name? Anybody? His name is Norman Borlaug. Norman Borlaug. Norman won the Nobel Peace Prize. That's what Norman won. Norman also won the Presidential Medal of Freedom along with a bunch of other stuff. He had a PhD in plant pathology. PhD in plant pathology. He hybridized, big word for me to say, hybridized these seeds for corn and wheat that were highly wheat, uh, disease resistant. This guy made a huge impact on the world. And so ABC News honored him as their person of the week. This guy, according to calculations to this point, which are still growing, this guy saved the lives of more than 2 billion people. And that number grows from, from the dust bowls of Southwest United States of America down to Mexico, to India, to Africa, to Asia, and on and on it goes. His expertise in food and plant pathology is responsible for saving countless lives 
from famine. And they say this guy right here saved the lives of two billion people, two billion people and counting. Some people call him one of the greatest persons who has ever lived, this guy, Norman Borlaug. Now, what they didn't cover on that ABC per person of the news thing is maybe there was somebody else that was responsible for saving all those lives that backs up behind Norman Borlaug. So let's see the next picture. Who is this guy? Can anybody tell me who that guy is? Anybody. We're in D.C. You're all into government. So who is he? Vice President Henry Wallace under Franklin Roosevelt. So Roosevelt had three vice presidents. He was vice president number two because Roosevelt served four terms. This guy right here had been before vice president, the secretary of agriculture, and he was so moved about the, about the issue with food and creating food that would be disease resistance and so that people wouldn't have to be starving all over the globe that he established down in Mexico this station that had one sole purpose. We're going to figure out how to hybridize seeds so that we can feed the world. We have got to get better with what we are doing. And so he put all of his energies and efforts there and he hired a young man. Who was the young man that he hired to go down with one sole purpose? Who do you think? A young man named Norman Borlaug. Isn't that fascinating? So maybe it was Henry Wallace actually that saved two billion lives. Or it could be this guy. Let's look at the next one. Anybody know who that is? George Washington Carver. Maybe it was George Washington Carver who actually saved the lives of two billion plus people. Because when George Washington Carver was 19 years old at Iowa State University, he had a professor, he had this great professor, he was a dairy sciences professor. And George Washington Carver was his brilliant student. And at the age of 19, he would allow George Washington Carver to take out into the fields his six-year-old little son. And he instilled in that six-year-old little son, he says, you know what? Food can change the world. He instilled in him a vision and a love for what plants can do for the world and make it a difference in people's lives. Who do you think was that six-year-old little son? That six-year-old little son was Vice President Henry Wallace, George Washington Carver put that passion in and says, we can do so much more. It's absolutely incredible. So maybe George Washington Carver is responsible for two billion lives. Or, or it's this guy. This guy, this guy's name is Moses. Whew, that's way back, right? It's Moses. This guy's a farmer in Diamond, Missouri, along with his wife, Susan. We couldn't get a picture of Susan. Apparently she didn't like her picture taken, but this is Moses right here. Moses lived in Missouri. Back in the days when Quantrell's raiders used to raid and do all kinds of terrible things, a bunch of nutcases. So they came, through, uh, they came through Moses and Susan's farm one day in the middle of the night, you know, with the dumb little sacks over their head. And they killed a bunch of people and took a bunch of horses and just created mayhem. And one of the things they did is they took away Susan, Moses' wife, Susan's best friend, Mary. They grabbed her, but Mary wouldn't let go of a little tiny infant baby in her arms, so they just take, they took both of them. Susan was distraught, so she told Moses, you got to do whatever you can to get Mary and the little baby back. So Moses, man, he just, he sends the word out everywhere, and two days later, he secured a meeting in the middle of the night to meet with Quantrell's raiders. And four raiders show up. It's in the middle of the night. They come in on horses. Moses comes in on his, on his horse. And that's the last thing he has to trade is his pride horse. And he says, I will give you this horse. If you will give me back what you have in that dirty burlap bag. And there in the middle of the night, on a cold January night, they throw him this bag. 
They take the horse and they thunder off. He immediately goes down to his knees. He opens up the burlap bag and it is a naked, half-dead baby boy. He rips open his coat, rips open his shirt, puts that baby right next to him. He begins to sing to the baby. He begins to make promises to the baby. And he walks all night long until, until early the next morning when he finally gets back to his wife, Susan. And they end up giving that baby their name. Moses and Susan Carver give the name George Washington Carver. See, God is about saving lives. He's about saving a nation, about saving a community. And isn't it incredible that starts with kids? That's where it backs all the way up to. So what I'm asking that you would consider this morning, at the very least, adjusting your priorities to God's priorities, God's priorities, community, and to pray for our kids, because it'll make all the difference in the world. You have no idea what our kids might do back in Graceland. And since we're adjusting our priorities, I want to ask you to consider this. God is tapping some of you on the shoulder this morning and say, you know what? It's time that you jump in. It's time that you jump in with what I am doing instead of being focused on just what you're doing and get involved in community and get involved with kids. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, for your word. I thank you, God, how you work behind the scenes, piecing things together. I want to thank you that you have pieced things together in such a way that you brought everybody here this morning for a purpose. You brought all us together. We think maybe it's just by accident. We thought, hey, we just woke up this morning. There's nothing else to do because it's so gloomy outside. But God, you wanted us here this morning because you're passionate about community. Help us, Lord, to hear your call to community and to jump on your train to jump on what you are blessing so that God, this world can be changed for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.